Today, we will be reading from Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. Then the neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And thanks to Mitchell for pronouncing every single one of those names correctly. That's pretty impressive. You know, uh, we are going to finish in Ruth today, but before we dig in, a reminder, you got this card on the way in. Don't forget, next week, our service times change a little bit. I just want you to be aware, not this service, it's still going to be at 1130, but if you plan to attend one of the earlier services those do adjust a little bit. So don't forget that starts next week. And kids in the room, if you're a student and you got an activity packet, you have a, you have a, a place to take a few notes and answer a few questions. So if you're a kid that's got one of these, I'll help you fill in a couple right away. Who's speaking? This is Charles. And uh, where in the Bible are we? We're in the book of Ruth, and we're going to be in chapter four. So hopefully that gets you started today as you're filling in your notes. Hopefully that helps. Today we are finishing our series in the book of Ruth, and man, this has been such a a powerful story. I hope that over these past six weeks here that this has impacted your life in some way. You know, we have seen throughout this story how, how God's providence is weaved throughout this book. We've seen how Naomi takes her lament to God, her cares, her concerns, her frustrations, her hurts, and she trusts God with those things. We've seen how Ruth has put her faith and put her trust in God. We've seen the character of a man named Boaz who who took a risk and and takes obedience to God seriously. And then last week... We, see, we heard from Pastor Todd the importance of a kinsman redeemer, not just the importance of it in Ruth and Naomi's life, but the importance of it in our life and how Jesus is that kinsman redeemer who rescues us. We've learned all these things. This is an incredible story. And truthfully, if the author of Ruth would have just ended the book right here and not gone any further, I'd have been totally satisfied. I mean... At this point in the story, Ruth and Boaz are together. All is well. I mean, the people and the elders of the city, they're exclaiming their acceptance of the happy couple. I have seen many a Hallmark movie that ended just like this, and I've gone to bed perfectly satisfied. It makes me happy. 
But I wonder, have you ever been watching those movies or hearing those stories, and have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what happened to that couple? Think they're still together? I mean, wonder what, what happened in their lives? Where are they now kind of thing? And, and normally we don't get a chance to find that out. I mean, oftentimes when we're watching these movies and reading these stories, we're left just assuming that everything's all good. The happy couple worked out. They're living a happy ever after life. At least that's what we want to believe. But I think, thankfully, our author here in Ruth doesn't leave us wondering. And that is such a powerful part of this story. Because as the credits roll and we think the story's over, no, it comes back on with this. Nine months later, we get a glimpse into what truly happens at the end of the story of Ruth. And this is what it says one more time. Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now, been, now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I enjoy reading biographies. Um, I listen to actually a lot of biographies when I'm exercising, when I'm running or walking. I'll put a biography on. I enjoy doing that. And I, and I love it because often when I read a biography, I know the story of the person already. I know the events that took place. I know how the story ends. I like to listen to it anyway. But what's intriguing is the person in that story doesn't know how the story ends. And you and I, in our own lives, in our own stories, we don't know specifically how our story is going to end, and we don't always know how the choices that we make today are going to impact tomorrow. And as we look at Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, they are in the middle of their story. They didn't know the future, but once again... God is providentially working behind the scenes and he's using their obedience, their character, their faithfulness to carry out a much bigger plan than they could have ever imagined happening. He would bless them in ways that they could not have even dreamed. And as a result, this is what happened in verse 13. We read, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. That's Ruth. And she gave birth to a son. I don't want to gloss over this verse because this is so key. She gave birth not just to a child, to a son. This is important because by God's providence, he enabled the redemption, as we talked last week, of Naomi and Ruth, but it's through his power that he enabled restoration. In fact, in this verse 13, it alludes to the fact that, that Ruth was barren. Ruth could not have children. In fact, that's why the people were praying in verse 11 that Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah, who we read about in Genesis 29. They were barren. They couldn't have children. And God enabled them to have children, to have sons. God is working in the same way here in Ruth's life. 
This would be such a blessing to have a son, for a son would provide for Naomi in her old age. A son would carry on the family name. A son would guarantee the family inheritance. And I love the contrast in this book. The contrast from the beginning to the end. Because if you remember, when we read in the beginning, in chapter 1, Naomi was lamenting to God, and it says that she said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. She was empty through her hurt and through her pain. She was empty, but now, at the end of Ruth, through the birth of this son, these women are full again. Their lives are full, their hearts are full, their souls are full. That is restoration. Restoration happens when you come empty and you leave full. That's what God does. It's no wonder. It's no wonder that they named this child Obed. Not a name we hear very often in our culture. It's too bad because this name Obed means worship. Worship. A baby has been born in Bethlehem. Worship. When you hear that statement, does it remind you of another baby? Born in Bethlehem? Worship. Does it bring to your mind another story of a child that we celebrate every year? Born in Bethlehem? In fact, the Ruth, the story of Ruth foreshadows the redemption and our restoration through the birth of a son born of the Holy Spirit through a virgin teenage girl named Mary. What's even more inspiring is that this Redeemer, this restorer of life named Jesus, comes from a line of a humble, faithful, Moabite widow named Ruth. Jesus comes from this line. This is incredible. And I want to finish our time this morning just looking a little closer at something that, quite honestly, we would normally glance over. In fact, there are those things in our Bibles that we read that sometimes we get to and we go, oh, that kind of looks boring. I'm going to skip over that. I I want to take a moment to highlight this, not skip over it, because it's so important. This is going to blow your mind. This is the very end of the book of Ruth, and it ends like this. It says, this is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon was the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. I want to highlight this because genealogies aren't just a list of names, they are intentional historical documents that are put there for us so that we can believe the historical accuracy of Scripture. And even more than that, this particular genealogy is put here because it begins with the name Perez. You see, Perez is what the elders and the people are praying in verse 12, that Boaz and Ruth's house would be like the house of Perez. They wanted their house to be like the house of Perez because Perez's offspring were very significant, which means that Boaz and Ruth's offspring were very significant. Their son, Obed, 
was not only the redeemer and the restorer of this family, but he continues in the line of Abraham that connects us all the way to King David. Now stick with me here because this is where it gets interesting. We're told time and time again that from the line of Abraham and David will come the Messiah, the redeemer and the restorer of this world, Jesus. We see this same genealogy again in Matthew chapter 1, except Matthew includes a couple of things that, that aren't included here. And this is found in Matthew chapter 1, the first, very first verses of the New Testament. And this is how Matthew puts it. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Minadab, Minadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz. And then Matthew includes this, whose mother was Rahab. You remember her? Rahab? Rahab the prostitute in Jericho who, who helped the two Israelite spies. Rahab is regarded in Scripture as one who lived by faith. She's regarded as a woman who was righteous. And this is in the line of Boaz. It's incredible that she's included in this. And then it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, and then Matthew includes this, whose mother was Ruth. This is the only other time in all Scripture that Ruth is mentioned. And she's mentioned because Matthew wants us to know something critical has taken place here. He wants us to know that God, the God, our God, is the God of all nations, all nations. Why in the world would this beautiful story of Ruth end with a boring genealogy? It's simple. It's because this points us back to Genesis and the promise that God made to Abraham that through him, all nations, all nations would be blessed that through the offspring of Abraham, all people could enter into a relationship with God. Our God is the God of all nations. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Gentile. She was far away from God. But because of her faith, she was brought into the family of faith. She was brought into the family of God. This was such a powerful demonstration of God's heart for people, for all people everywhere. This genealogy, it doesn't just point us back, though. It points us all the way forward as well. It points us to Jesus called the son of David. Remember Jesus, the, the one who was the friend of sinners? Jesus, the, the one who came for you and me. Jesus, the one who was killed, buried, and resurrected three days later so that you and I could have life. You know, Jesus, the one who forgives us of our sins so that we could have a relationship with God. That Jesus, that is a gift for you and for me, but not just for you and me, for everyone. It's to bring into the family of God all the Ruths from around the world. All the Moabites, 
All the Muslims, all the Hindus, all the people at your workplace, all the people in your family, all the people in your neighborhood who still may be apart from God, Jesus came for them. He came for them because he's the God of all nations everywhere. You know, Ruth really does two things here. The book of Ruth points us all the way back to Genesis, to the beginning, yes. But it points us all the way forward to Revelation, which is the end, to the day when every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every language, every color, every Moabite, and every Ruth who have turned to Jesus in faith will be present with him for eternity. What an incredible story. But between this day and that day, our stories, between this day and that day, it's our stories. Our own stories are being written. Our own stories of fear, where we're making choices just as Elimelech did. That we're going to either listen to God or are we going to do what's right in our own eyes? Our own stories of of loss, like Naomi and Ruth felt, sometimes tragic loss. Our own stories of lament, like Naomi had, where we take our, our concerns and our worries and our cares and our hurts, and we take them to God and we trust Him with those things. Our own stories of obedience, like Boaz. Will I do what's right, even when it doesn't make sense? Will I do what's right even when it might cost me something? Will I be obedient? It's going to be part of our story. Our own stories of faith and our own stories of trust. And I pray that our stories, each one of our stories in this room would be wrapped as Ruth stories is in God's providence. And I know somebody here is thinking to themselves, they're going, you know what? You're just talking about fate. It's just fate. It is what it is. And that's exactly what fate is. Fate is, it is what it is. What happens, happens. No direction, no care, no love. It's just dumb luck. But providence, God's providence is different. Because God's providence is wrapped in direction. It's wrapped in care. It's wrapped in love. It's purposeful. It's sovereign. God ordains everything that happens in our stories with a purpose. So between this day and that day, our stories, and as you write your story, I wonder if you consider three things. Would you consider as you write your story that God is providentially working behind the scenes in each of our lives. You know, we can read through Ruth and we can think, well, this is just an ordinary story of ordinary people. It's just Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And, and, and with their travels, they get married, they have kids, there's death, there's grief, there's harvest, there's sleeping, there's eating, there's all those normal things. But somehow, through the apparent ordinariness of this story, God had much bigger plans at stake, plans that ended with them, with with the birth of Jesus, and, and 
and truthfully our lives changing forever as a result. So between this day and that day, your small acts of obedience, your small acts of faith and trust, your small acts of kindness, all those things, your effort to live life the way Jesus would live your life if he were here, all of it matters. Every single bit of it. It matters. It's a purpose. And then we trust God that he will providentially use all of those things to carry out much bigger plans in our lives. And honestly, they may be plans that you and I may not fully realize this side of eternity. I don't know. But I tell you, if we believe this, if God is providentially working behind the scenes in each of our lives, if this is true and we believe it, then it should change how you view life. This should change how you respond to circumstances. This should change how you navigate celebrations, how you navigate losses. And with this knowledge, I don't know who might need to hear this today, but with this knowledge, not one of us could ever say our life doesn't matter, that we're not important, that no one cares about me, that if I'm not here, no one would miss me. No one can ever say those words because we may not ever know. We may not ever know. But I pray that God would pull back the curtain on occasion and just show you a glimpse of what he's doing because when he does, it'll rock your world. I promise. God is providentially working in your life. I know this to be true. But would you consider the second thing? Would you consider remembering who God uses? I say this because the story of Ruth is, is about people who have no fame, no notoriety. In fact, outside of their circles, no one knew who these three were. They weren't famous, they weren't superstars. They were ordinary, normal people. And, and, and this should not take us by surprise because God brought salvation into this world through nobodies, through a nobody named Abraham, through a nobody named Sarah rather than Hagar, through Aaliyah rather than Rachel, through Jacob rather than Esau, through David rather than his more, more presentable brothers who looked better than him. He worked through a Moabite widow named Ruth and eventually through a nobody named Jesus. Jesus was born not as a general, not as an aristocrat. He was born in a manger, a servant. In fact, Philippians 2 said he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. He was a nobody. And God did incredible things through these nobodies. And if God can do such incredible things through these nobodies, imagine what he can do through your life. Again, if this is true, then I wonder, what will you do with your new life? What will your nine-month-later scene look like? I don't know. We may not ever know for sure. But I pray, I pray that whatever comes, whatever ups you face, whatever downs you face, that it'll be a story that is marked by faithfully 
walking with God like Ruth. And that one day when your story comes to an end and you're standing before God face to face, I pray that you hear the words that all of us long to hear. Well done, a good and faithful servant. I pray you hear those words. Because remember who God uses. All of us, the nobodies. So if he's providentially working and he uses the nobodies, I wonder if you would consider this last thing. Would you consider being a blessing to the Moabite in your life? You know, you have people in your life right now, Moabites. Those are people who are different than you. People who look different, think different, act different. These are people who are far away from God. And guess what? You're the exact person God wants to use in their life. So in the spirit of Boaz, in the spirit of Jesus, we want to be there for them, to show the love of God to them. We have to tell them about Jesus. And this might require a change. And not a change in their life. It might require a change in our lives. A change in our hearts. A change in our thinking. A change in our attitudes. And only God can make those changes. Then if there's someone in your life who is far from God, and you struggle with this person, then I ask that you would pray the same prayer David prays in Psalm 51 when he said, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Create a clean heart in me, Lord. Give me the right attitude, the right thinking, the right heart for, for sharing with this person the love of God and who you are. This is so critical. And then, and then, when the world looks down upon you, remember Boaz. Remember the risk that he took for the sake of a young Moabite widow. You know, one day, the book of Revelation reminds us all followers of Jesus, all of them, are going to be with him together forever. All the Moabites and all going to be with Jesus. But between this day and that day are stories. And we need to be the church out there with the Ruths, with the Moabites, with those who still may be far from God. They need to know. So there it is. The story of Ruth. It's done. It's over. Chapter 4 wrapped up. The story's come to an end. And so with that in mind, we move on to the next story. And I promise you, this is going to be a good one because it's the story of how it's all going to end. Check this out. This morning, I was putting together a Disney puzzle with my daughter, Remy. Here's a couple pieces of that puzzle. And it was a small puzzle, just a 24-piece puzzle. But when we finally put it together, my little daughter, she screamed, she was so excited because we finally got the whole picture put together. And as I was putting that puzzle together, I started to think about our upcoming study in Revelation. I started to think to myself, are we approaching Revelation in the same way? Are we looking at it as a puzzle and we have to find all the right pieces to put together? You see, the problem is if we approach Revelation like a puzzle to put together, 
then we miss out on why John wrote Revelation in the first place. He didn't write it as a puzzle to put together. He didn't write it as a code to decipher. He wrote it to give us a full picture of hope. Hope that Jesus reigns on the throne. One of my favorite verses in Revelation is Revelation 1, 17 through 18. John, he finally gets a view of who Jesus is after he's resurrected. And listen to this part of the story here. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. You see, Jesus is doing that with us through the book of Revelation. He's putting his hand on our shoulder and says, look, I am the first and the last. I am the final hope. Put your eyes on me. It's all about worship. It's all about Jesus. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, he puts it this way. John is using words to intensify our relationship with God. John wants to jar us out of lethargy, get us to live on alert, open our ears to the hard steel promises and commands of Christ, to banish boredom of the gospel, to lift our heads and to enlarge our hearts. That's what Revelation is about. Is Revelation puzzling? It really is. If you've read it like I have, there are a lot of things in there that I don't even understand half the time. But that's why we're gonna spend 17 weeks in Revelation, journeying through it together to help both of us understand what this is all about. And yes, it's puzzling, but it is not a puzzle to solve. Rather, it's for us to turn our gaze onto Jesus, to remember that He is our ultimate hope. I am so looking forward to spending the next 17 weeks with you as a church as we grow deeper. And we believe growing deeper over these next 17 weeks is studying the book of Revelation. So buckle up. Looking forward to the next few weeks with you. Yeah, a book of wonder, hope, and a promise. We're looking forward to being together in that. Hopefully you plan on joining us over the next several weeks as we dive into that. Hopefully you plan on joining us Saturday morning from 9 to noon for our chapel work day. If you're available to be with us, we would love to have some help outside working on some yard work and things like that. And um, glad we can be together. Let me pray for us here before we go. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the story that you included of Ruth. Lord, for the encouragement it is to us, Lord, to um, to see how they struggle and how they trust, Lord, encourages me to do the same. To see how your providence is weaved throughout that, Lord, it helps us. Thank you for that. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we reach out to the Moabites in our life. Lord, help us to have the right heart, the right mind, the right thinking. Lord, give us wisdom when talking to them. Give us clarity. Give us opportunities, Lord. So we trust you with all these things. We love you and we're grateful for your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, have a great week. See you soon.